Any birthday singers? Come on, people, we need birthday singers! Happy birthday! That is my birthday. Yes, it is my birthday. There's someone in my house eating my birthday cake, and it's not me. Today is my 100th birthday. Happy birthday. No such thing. It's my birthday, too. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Happy Movie Birthdays, a podcast that celebrates movies on the anniversary of their release. I am your host, Nathan Ulig. Before we get started today, I just wanted to mention that I did start a Twitter account specifically for this podcast. It's at Happy Movie B Days. Uh, apparently, I'm not allowed to have too many letters in there, so I had to condense it down a bit. But that's all right. We'll make it work. That's at Happy Movie B Days on Twitter. You can follow me, and if you do, you're pretty much guaranteed to get a follow from me because I'm not a very social media savvy type of person. So hey, I'm you know just kind of get it where I can. And of course, if you ever want to email me directly, as I mentioned at the end of each show, uh, there is an email, happymoviebirthdays at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, dirty jokes, anything, you know, I'll, I appreciate any little fan mail I can get. Special shout out to my friend Sean, who actually sent me an email through that. I appreciate having at least one listener. That makes me feel, you know, a little bit better about myself. But hey, we're not here to talk about that. Today, we are here to talk about another movie birthday. This one having a very close connection to my very first episode. That's right. Today marks the 30th birthday of Ghostbusters 2. Released in the U.S. on June 16th, 1989, Ghostbusters 2 is directed by Ivan Reitman, of course the same director as the first, and mostly the same cast, Bill Murray, Sigourney Weaver, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson, Rick Moranis, Annie Potts, and of course Slimer as himself. Of course, after the first Ghostbusters became a gigantic, phenomenal smash hit of the year, it was pretty much inevitable that there was going to be some kind of sequel. Now, I remember back in the day when Ghostbusters 1 and 2 first came out on DVD. This was back when DVDs were, like, the biggest thing in the world. DVDs were hugely popular, and back then they got a lot of really cool special things to go along with them, special packaging, especially, like, inserts inside little booklets that had, you know, the pictures and, and fun little facts about the movies. And I really miss that about, you know, physical media nowadays. I, I still collect, you know, Blu-rays and DVDs and stuff. I'm a big physical media kind of guy, so I really miss the super special packaging with little booklets inside and all kinds of stuff that goes with it. Sadly, that is going the way of the dinosaur. But 
I digress. When I got Ghostbusters 2 on DVD, it had one of those little cool little insert booklet things with a bunch of little fun facts about the movie. And according to it, when the first Ghostbusters hit it big, and of course the studio wanted to greenlight a sequel right away, but the people involved weren't particularly keen on that idea. It's not that they didn't want to do it, but they felt it was kind of like a been there, done that kind of thing. And of course, a sequel is never going to be as good as an original that this one is not, but that's besides the fact. So apparently what happened was all of the main players didn't want to make a direct sequel, but they all had such a good time working on Ghostbusters, they wanted to make another movie. They all wanted to work together again with something different. So it was Ivan Reitman, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, the screenwriters, and Bill Murray. And they all got together and they were wanting to brainstorm an idea that they could all do together and be happy with. And it would be kind of an unofficial sequel to Ghostbusters, like, kind of like how Casino is in a way kind of an unofficial sequel to Goodfellas. I mean, it has the same stars, it has the same writer, it has the same director, and it's the same genre of film, but it's different characters, a different story, it's a completely different film, but the two are really connected in a lot of ways. And that was the idea they wanted to go with. They wanted to make another movie, but not another Ghostbusters movie. And as they were brainstorming ideas and kept talking about it, kept talking about it, they kept coming back to the ideas of, well, what would we do with the second Ghostbusters? And long story short, they clearly ended up doing a Ghostbusters 2, which I'm sure the studio was super happy about. Definitely a lot easier to greenlight a movie that is a direct sequel to one of your biggest franchise film hits. Right, suck in the guts, guys, with the Ghostbusters. No! No, please go! You! Who's yes, this Wiggler? He's yours, Ray. Sick him. so let's get into ghostbusters 2 have you seen ghostbusters 1 Okay, then you've seen Ghostbusters 2. It is... It's not exactly the same movie. Not unlike a... Uh, Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. kind of level, which are very much the same. But Ghostbusters 2, yes, it is very similar in the more broad story sense. It's this group of guys. They're not really together at first. They start busting ghosts. They became famous and popular for busting ghosts. There's a big bad in the movie that's directly tied to Sigourney Weaver's character, who, of course, her and Bill Murray have a thing, and they're trying to get together. And at the end, the Ghostbusters, of course, come and save the day. On the broad main story point sense, yes, Ghostbusters 1 and Ghostbusters 2 are very, very very similar. But I think it does just enough difference that still makes it pretty fun to watch. I mean, so many of the James Bond movies have that same basic arc of a story, and they've done that, what, 25 times now? So 
is it 25 times 20 or 25 times somewhere it it's a lot of times but james bond movies are always really good at keeping just enough different to make you want to watch more of it and i think in that sense ghostbusters 2 mainly succeeds so we start off with sigourney weaver dana barrett it's five years later after the first movie and she has a brand new bouncing baby boy they're going down the streets of new york and everyone on the street is a complete asshole which you may not think of it on first viewing but that does come into play later on yeah you might think oh that's just how people in new york are and yeah but specifically for this story it it's it's pretty important so the baby almost gets kidnapped by a ghost or whatever. The, the buggy is, you know, running off on its own, really crazy. She's chasing after it. It's not a, a kind of like the first Ghostbusters where it has kind of a serious scene at the beginning to start you off. It's very much with this one. It's not a funny opening scene. It's very serious to let you know, oh, there are real stakes here, especially when it involves an infant baby, just ratchets up the stakes even more. And then... Just like the first movie, we're introduced to the Ghostbusters before they're Ghostbusters. But in this one, they have been Ghostbusters for a while, but they're not really Ghostbusters. So basically what happens is you got Ray and Winston. You think they're going off on a little Ghostbusting mission. And then it turns out, oh, they're just there for a birthday party. They've been reduced to children's birthday parties. Ghostbusting is not a thing anymore. Fun little fact, of course, in this opening birthday scene, there's uh, one of the older kids talking to Dan Aykroyd about how my father says you guys are full of crap and nobody likes you and blah, blah, blah. That's actually the director's son, Ivan Reitman's son, Jason Reitman, who is a great s smaller film, indie film director in his own right. He's made some great movies uh, the last 10, 15 years and has recently been slated to direct the new Ghostbusters movie. No, not the... Melissa McCarthy, Paul Feig one, a brand new Ghostbusters film that ties in directly to these two. Anyway, Ghostbusters, they're down on their luck. Ghostbusting isn't a thing anymore, so they've all kind of gone back to regular lives. Uh, Ray owns an occult bookstore. Egon is working at the local university doing studies and whatnot. You never really learn what Winston is doing. Maybe just guarding the firehouse. I don't know. Again, just like with the first one, as much as I like Ernie Hudson as an actor and I like his performance, the character of Winston in these movies is more or less kind of useless. I mean, when you watch these movies, imagine the character of Winston being completely gone and does the plot change at all? No, it doesn't. And that's a real shame. The character really does deserve to really be a part of the film and he just doesn't get a chance, which is sad. But they use them to a lot better effect in the real Ghostbusters cartoon show. Oh, and of course, Peter. His thing, doing away from Ghostbusting, is the host of a television show. Milt, your new book is called The End of the World. Now, can you tell us when it's going to be, or do we have to buy the book? Well, I predict that the world will end at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve. This year? Mm-hmm. Well, that's cutting it a little bit close, isn't it? I mean, just from a sales point of view, I mean, your book is just coming out. You're not going to see any paperback sales for at least a year. It'll be at least another year before you know whether you've got the miniseries or movie of the week kind of possibilities. I mean, just devil's advocate, Milty. I mean, 
Shouldn't you have said, hey, the world's going to end wait, in 1992 wait a minute. or better hey, yet, this, 1994? This is not just some money-making scheme, all right? I have a strong psychic belief that the world will end on New Year's Eve. <sighs> well, for your sake, I hope you're right. Thank you. Which is kind of appropriate, because in the first movie, uh, Dana Barrett tells him, oh, you're more like a game show host, not really a scientist. But in this one, he's not a game show host, he's a little local crappy talk show host. But Dana Barrett's character, she goes to Egon, telling him about this situation and how she doesn't really know who else to go to, of course. So he says they'll investigate, and she asks them not to tell Peter, and he says, of course not. Turns out there's some history. You think they would have gotten together after the first one? Turns out they did, but things didn't work out. Oh well, life happens. But Peter, of course, ends up finding out about their little fact-finding mission, decides to help out. Clearly, he still has feelings for her, but, you know, he tags along, going to see what he can do. So they're investigating this disturbance of the baby's carriage running off, and she tells them where it ran off to in the middle of the street. They're taking their little measures and scientific readings and stuff, and it looks like there's something underneath the street that has paranormal activity. So what do they do? Of course, they drill a giant hole in the middle of the street, posing as construction workers. It's a fun little scene, them having to kind of fend off the cops and stuff like that. Ray goes down deep into the hole to figure out what's down there. Turns out there is a river of slime running through old abandoned subway lines. It's pretty cool looking. It's pretty gross. And of course, this will come in important in the plot later on. But anyway, they get a sample of the slime as they're getting arrested by the cops for drilling a big hole. And we go to court. The Ghostbusters are in court fighting for their lives. Well, maybe not for their lives, but, you know, to not get thrown in jail. But we find out, oh, not only were they illegally digging a big hole, turns out they're not really supposed to be doing ghostbusting things anymore anyway. I guess there's a city ordinance. They got sued by the city for all the crap that went down in the first movie. And they're not really allowed to be Ghostbusters anymore. So, so, so you were just trying to help out a help out a friend who was frightened, who was scared of what was happening to her. No when you're intent. scared, what? There was no evil. Intent. There was no evil intended, no malice, no, uh, uh, because you live here. When you live in a place and you love it like you, know, you do, you don't want nothing bad to happen. What? Because it'll never happen again. It's an isolated incident. It's a one-shot deal. Objection, Your Honor. What? He's leading the witness. Sustain. Give me a break. We're both lawyers. Mr. Tully. You have any questions for this witness? Might have some bearing on this case. Do I? No, we've helped them out enough already. And as we're learning all this in court, the judge is getting very angry. He's screaming at people, he's screaming at them. And as this is happening, the slime that they collected from under the street starts bubbling up. Things are happening. And then two big ghosts pop out. Oh, but the Ghostbusters can't do anything. What are they going to do? The judge says, ah, screw it. I'm overturning it. You're allowed to be Ghostbusters now. Bust these ghosts. They bust the ghosts. They're back in business. And just like Ghostbusters 1, you know, why change something if it works so well? You get a really cool little montage of them becoming famous again and busting ghosts and all this stuff. New song this time around by Run DMC, I think. I remember I had the soundtrack growing up when I, when I was a little kid. I didn't have very many, you know, music tapes. 
albums to myself. I mostly had toys, but out of the few music albums I had, Lion King, Aladdin, a Beatles greatest hits thing, this was the one I had probably from the earliest age and what I listened to the most. Nowhere near as good as the first Ghostbusters soundtrack, but there's a handful of pretty good songs in there. Most of them are just kind of weird, though. Anyway, uh, throughout all of this that's going on, I haven't mentioned yet, Dana Barrett, instead of being in the orchestra, now she works at the Manhattan Museum of Art with a really creepy foreign boss. Turns out there's a new painting in the museum that they are restoring of this creepy-looking Viking Vlad the Impaler-type dude. And the painting just happens to be possessed by, you guessed it, a ghost. And he kind of takes over the boss and blah, blah, blah. All this stuff happens. Long story short, the river of slime is flowing straight to the Museum of Art. It's basically feeding the painting ghost. His name's Vigo, is the painting ghost. Feeding Vigo his power. But what is creating this slime, they call it mood slime. Basically, all of the people in New York being really depressed and angry and crappy towards each other and all this kind of bad stuff is manifesting into a slime that is being created underneath the city, flowing to the museum, feeding Vigo's power so he becomes more powerful. His plan is he needs a child, a little baby, to basically transfer his soul into he's going to possess him and grow up and be all-powerful and take over the world and all that kind of stuff. You know, the typical bad guy thing. And since Sigourney Weaver is one of the stars of the movie, and I'm sure there's no other babies in Manhattan at that particular time, he decides, oh, I need her baby. The creepy boss is going to kidnap the baby so that Vigo can possess him. One of the other antagonists of the movie is the mayor's kind of main, I don't know, assistant, consultant? I don't remember what his official title is, but he works for the mayor. He doesn't like the Ghostbusters. He's always trying to get one up on them, kind of like the EPA guy in the first one. Again, if you've seen Ghostbusters 1, you've pretty much seen Ghostbusters 2. Basically the same character. There's actually a really great scene. Again, I'm repeating myself, but again, if you've seen Ghostbusters 1, you've seen Ghostbusters 2, where the Ghostbusters uh, go to the mayor's office to tell them what's going on and what needs to be done. It goes a little differently this time, though, which is nice, because in the first one, the mayor clearly sees that something needs to be done and has the Ghostbusters take care of it. In this one, the mayor doesn't believe them at all and just kind of brushes them off. But it's still a nice little scene. There's two jokes throughout the movie in particular that are in this scene that I find especially funny. One is a lot more subtle and not goes over people's head, but I think people don't catch it at first, where they're kind of reintroducing themselves to the mayor and Dan Aykroyd says, uh, Well, uh, first of all, Mr. Mayor, it's a great pleasure to see you again. And we'd just like to say that almost 50% of us voted for you in the last election. I appreciate that. Which is basically his way of saying, so only one of us voted for you, but hey, you need our help again. Uh, I particularly like that joke. And then another one is when they explain how the slime works and how it's manifested by, you know, bad people, and the mayor just tells them, Being miserable and treating other people like dirt is every New Yorker's God-given right. Your two minutes are up. Good night, gentlemen. I think that's a classic line. I love it. 
And then because of this, the mayor assistant guy decides to throw them in the loony bin, because clearly they're crazy. But as Vigo becomes more powerful, and the slime starts rising more up in the city and releases more ghosts, and the city is being overwhelmed and going into complete chaos, and the mayor realizes, oh, I guess I was wrong. We need the Ghostbusters again. They get them out. They figure out basically what's going on. Oh, and at this time... Uh, Oscar, which is the baby, I don't think I mentioned the baby's name before, but Oscar, the baby, uh, gets kidnapped by a ghost and taken to the museum. He's there now, waiting to get possessed. The Ghostbusters get out of the mental asylum. They find out exactly what's going on and know what they need to do. Go to the museum to stop Vigo from taking over Oscar and then the world, but it turns out he has covered the museum in a thick, hard layer of slime that they cannot penetrate. How are they going to get in to the museum? How are they going to save the day? Well, they could use a big Stave Puff Marshmallow Man like in the first one, but they don't have one, so they need something else that will suffice. Instead, they take the Statue of Liberty. So throughout the movie, Egon, through his experiments, has learned that, yes, this slime is subject to emotions and feelings, and even though this is bad slime, it's evil slime, he can turn the slime good and positive and use it to their advantage. They whip up a whole batch of it and cover it inside the Statue of Liberty so that they can then basically turn the Statue of Liberty alive and control it and march it all the way down to the museum, break through into the museum to stop Vigo. Uh-oh. Hold it right there, deadhead! You want a baby? Go ahead and knock up some willing hellhound. Otherwise, I'm giving you three to get back in that painting where you belong. One. Two. Which, of course, they do. It's, it's the Ghostbusters. Of course they're going to save the day. That's what they do. Big ol' happy ending. Peter and Dana are back together again. All the Ghostbusters are happy. The city is saved. The end. Or at least until the next Ghostbusters movie comes out and we find out what happened after that. Is Ghostbusters 2 as good as Ghostbusters 1? No, of course not. But it's still a fun watch. It's got great special effects. The chemistry between the main characters and stuff is still really good. Overall, I think, still worth the watch, especially if you liked the first Ghostbusters. Now, what Ghostbusters 2 does do is it's not as edgy, I guess, is the right word to use when comparing it to the first Ghostbusters. There's definitely not, you know, ghost oral jokes. None of the Ghostbusters smoke anymore. There's not nearly as much swearing. And mostly that is due to the fact that when the first Ghostbusters came out and it became a big hit, 
They weren't really expecting it to have such an appeal to a younger audience. And then they came out with the real Ghostbusters cartoon show, and that became a massive hit, especially like with the toy line and, and merchandise and stuff like that. So when they went to do the second Ghostbusters, they kind of toned it down. Well, not toned it down. Well, just made it a bit more kid-friendly so that kids who loved the cartoon show, like myself, could go into it and expect something fairly similar. The design of Slimer was completely changed to be much closer to the cartoon. The design of Slimer was completely changed to be much closer to the cartoon. Even Janine and Annie Potts' character had a complete makeover to look exactly like her cartoon counterpart. So I feel if they weren't pressured to keep it more younger audience friendly and kind of coincide it with the cartoon show, they probably could have had the freedom to, to, I don't know, just not have those constrictions to really make it the movie they truly want to make a bit closer to the first Ghostbusters. But hey, like I said, it's still a fun watch. I mean, I was a little kid obsessed with Ghostbusters around the time the movie came out, so a lot of the toys and stuff that I had were either from the cartoon show or Ghostbusters 2 specifically, because of course with the first one they weren't expecting it to have that kind of reach, so they never made any toys or anything for it. So a lot of stuff I had growing up, like the, the coloring books and activity books and, and stuff like that, a couple of the toys as well, were very Ghostbusters 2 related. So in that sense, I have kind of a nostalgic feeling for this movie. You know, even though it might not be great, I can watch it and still reminds me of where I was at that time and put me into that nostalgic little kid mindset, which I'm greatly appreciative because uh, I need more movies that do that for me. I feel old, is what I'm trying to say. I feel really, really old. But another fun Ghostbusters 2 fact, when the movie was released, it broke the record, box office record, for opening weekend. It's very impressive, and held that record for exactly one week until Tim Burton's Batman was released. Which, I have a feeling, is a movie we may be talking about in a very near episode. But I'm not talking about that now. Right now, we are here to wish a happy movie birthday to Ghostbusters 2. This has been Happy Movie Birthdays. The show is conceived, written, produced, and hosted by me, Nathan Ulick. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email me at happymoviebirthdays at gmail.com or follow the show on Twitter at happymoviebdays. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening.